Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, Frank Buckley quantifies the productivity and financial gain from dairy crossbreeding and first outlines the fundamentals of crossbreeding that have benefited dairy herds in Ireland. In the context of, of, of Ireland and our breeding programs, I guess it's, it's, a, it's the two biggies are breed complementarity. So that's the uh, complementarity, I suppose, obviously, between the two breeds in terms of uh, or at least two breeds that would be used in the program and uh, the various traits that, that, that they are, are their strengths or their, in terms of their traits. And secondly, what we call heterosis or hybrid vigor. And that's um, the additional performance that we uh, that's achieved when you, when you crossbreed uh, two, two unrelated breeds uh, over and above what you expect as the average from each of those breeds. So technically it's called the additional performance over the mid-parent mean. From the perspective of uh, dairy breeding in Ireland, what are the typical breeds that have been used in crossbreeding efforts in the past in Ireland? Down through the years, we have evaluated, I suppose, quite a number of breeds. If you go back to the early 90s, we would have looked at the dual-purpose breeds from France, uh, namely the Montbelliard and Normandy. We subsequently, I suppose, fertility became, uh, at that point, we'll say in the mid-90s, uh, fertility became more of an issue or became more apparent uh, in terms of its uh, the decline in fertility, if you like, in the national population. So we became we began to look at breeds that have... Um, that you know there were fertility was the real strength and uh you know the, that led us to the norwegian red and we, we we've quite a lot of research done on those um um and then subsequently the jersey breed and i guess our findings in in summary there would be that the the likes of the jersey the likes of the norwegian red with their moderate size early maturity you know, ability to uh, perform well under grazing um, are probably the breeds most suited in the context of our system. Whereas the other breeds, the breeds I mentioned there, the more dual purpose, the more late maturing breeds like the Montbelliard, Normandy, and you probably would bring in the likes of the Fleckfee there now. They're a breed that seems to be, um, seems to be a bit of interest in them, in them currently. I mean, they're, they're less compatible with our system in the sense that our system is based on two-year-old calving, compact calving so fertility is really important so issues uh, with those dual purpose breeds you tend to have issues more around you know late maturity uh, which has uh, consequences for for fertility really in, in, in the context of our system both in terms of having animals calving down at the appropriate time as two-year-olds and and subsequently as as uh, you know later on in terms of recalving and you also have issues with um you can have issues more more issues with calving difficulty um because of the bigger nature of these animals and and I say that that late maturing trait i suppose you've identified some some negatives that work against the seasonal calving system with those dual purpose breeds so let's take a look at the norwegian red and the jersey what exactly would you see that they can deliver um you know from a breed complementarity and a hybrid vigor perspective well, generally, both of those breeds are what we might call moderate-sized. So, I mean, you know, typically in our system, I suppose the type of animal that fits best is sort of an animal that might be 550 kilos that will produce, you know, we, we hear the figure that people, what farmers are trying to achieve is 500 kilos of solids from, from a 500 kilo animal. Um, 
you know that that's that's aspirational but at the end of the day i suppose the type of animal that's that's probably most suited to our system is an animal that's probably 550 kilos delivering somewhere between 450 and 550 kilos of, of, of milk solids that will do it year on year that will do it comfortably from pasture you know that will respond in terms of supplementation at the shoulders but it ultimately will produce the majority of that milk from grazed grass and importantly to achieve that they need to conceive uh we'll say readily so in other words recover quite well uh, post calving but equally they need to be they need to have the potential to calve down as two years of age so they need to be early maturing and we find with the norwegian red the jersey i mean the norwegian red is probably comparable to the black and whites to the holstein frisians that we typically um you know, run through our systems. Uh, the jersey we find is slightly earlier maturing. So in that regard, you know, they they're they calve down comfortably at two years of age. They're they have a, a natural ability to do that, and and you know, with little issues in terms of calving difficulty and so on. And then in terms of so the size of the animal, generally, if we cross them with our black and whites, we will result in that 500 to 550 kilo type, you know, size of animal. Um producing the type of production levels that we're trying to achieve so that efficiency is there um they will deliver decent solids um and they will tend to have good good fertility so they, they fit those those um uh, attributes i suppose are those uh, characteristics that we're trying to achieve pretty well um the jersey has an additional if you like i suppose both of those breeds have have something slightly different to the black and white in addition to the to the obvious in the sense that the okay the jersey the obvious thing is they're smaller they have less volume they have higher solids but what people don't realize i guess in terms of the complementarity is that the jersey as a breed has a unique um aspect in terms of its ability to eat more relative to its size so that allows it then to have what we call a higher intake capacity so in eating more relative to its size it has a lower maintenance requirement to carry that smaller body weight and um, has more energy if you like available to, to produce more milk so as a consequence they produce more milk more milk output in terms of milk solids in our case um, relative to their body size which then feeds into an ability to have a higher stocking rate and so on because the um, you know because of the efficiencies that arise there the Norwegian red would be and, and its cross would be similar in many respects to the, to the Holstein Frisians that we would typically uh, run so again moderate size you know the pedigrees would be slightly smaller but when you cross them you end up with an animal that's similar um, you know and, and in terms of most things i mean their markings can be slightly different but from, from you know you could be crossbreeding with norwegian red and, and your neighbors won't know about it i suppose um but they they have particularly good they've been selected very strongly for both fertility and uh other health so mastitis resistance so they're, they're particularly strong in that regard um and then obviously if you're talking about the comp complementarity of the other breeds that i mentioned earlier you're more interested in beef marriage and, and, and issues like that but in terms of the efficiency of milk production the Jersey will and Jersey crosses will be number one. And in the terms of the next crosses that we've evaluated, the Norwegian red type animal would be next and they would be comparable with the black and whites. Farmers will take the uh, decision to crossbreed and, you know, would take the example of Jersey. They'll cross their their black and white cows with Jersey and they'd be particularly happy with the, the response in terms of the, the heifer they produce. Where to next after that? A hundred percent of of the heterosis that will be expressed will be expressed in the first cross so that's where you have two breeds crossing 
and you have a hundred percent expression of hybrid rigor. So there's different strategies then thereafter, and and depending on where you go around the world or who you talk to, you know, there's there's different strategies. And typically within within dairy strategies, it's either what we call a two-way crossbreeding, uh, uh, so a, t- a two-way reciprocal uh, crossbreeding ro- rotational system, or a three-way rotational system. So in other words, you crisscross with two breeds, crisscross with 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 tree breeds um, in the rotation, or you have, uh, you know, something that has emerged from the New Zealand side of things is the is 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 the synthetic or crossbred bulls. So if we just stick with the the two way crossbreeding, uh, which is you know using two breeds, what typically happens is in in the first generation you have we'll take it in our example where we might have a Holstein Friesian cow mated to a, a Jersey bull. We'll say the resulting calf is, as I said, 50-50. So it's a 50% uh, Jersey, 50% uh, Friesian, and that will express 100% of hybrid vigor. So if we go back to what I said earlier, it can be in the region of 150 euros per cow per lactation over and above what's expressed by the EBI, if you like. So over and above the animal's um, additive genetic merit. In the second generation, then, we'll assume that we come back with a Holstein Friesian bull. So we have our F1, our, our crossbred cow, and we made it back to a Friesian bull. The resulting progeny then is 75% Friesian and 25% Jersey. And that animal will express 50% of the hybrid vigor of the F1. So if we take the, the numerical, the, the numerical figure that I use there of 150 euros per cow lactation, they'll express 75 euros per cow per lactation. And, you know, we're, we often hear that once we move away from the first cross, we lose all the hybrid vigor. So yes, when we come back in that instance with one of the parent breeds in the next generation, yes, half the, half the genes are now back to being what we call homozygous. They're, they're similar. They're, they're both of the same breed, both from the dam and the sire side. But you still have 50% of the genes that are, that are heterozygous. And that's why we get an expression of 50% uh, of the hybrid hybrid vigor. Thereafter, it actually increases again. So in the next generation, if we were to say we follow through with coming back to a Jersey bull, on our three-quarter red Friesian quarter Jersey uh, cow, we result in an animal that's uh, 37.5%, if we want to be specific, 37.5% uh, Holstein Friesian and 62.5%. So almost one third, two thirds um, Jersey Holstein Friesian. And that animal in that instance, again, because of the type of genes that are then that are then uh, circulating, we have 75% expression of hybrid vigor. So that's coming back up to three quarters of the, of the 150 euros I mentioned. You know, if we continue to crisscross in subsequent generations, we ultimately end up with animals that are either uh, two thirds of the parent breed and one third of the other breed. So, so if the sire of the animal is, is Jersey, it's two thirds Jersey, one third Frisian. And in the next generation, because we go back to Frisian, it'll be two thirds Frisian, one third Jersey. And as a consequence, we get two thirds of the, of the expression of heterosis thereafter, okay, in, in, in those later generations. You know, so assuming we, we, we stick to the plan, so we, we have our purebreds, we cross them, we, and we continue to crisscross with pure breeds. So in theory, we're saying here that these are 100% of, of their respective breeds. You have 100% expression of hybrid vigor in, in the first generation. In the next generation, we lose half of it, or we, or we retain half of it, whichever way you want to look at it. We then come back to 75%, and thereafter, it's two-thirds. So we don't lose it. 
And let's take uh, the Jersey as our alternative breed for the example. Are there sufficient Jersey bulls to pick from the active bull list, you know, where farmers are looking at having several bulls to, you know, minimize the risk and increase the reliability of their bull team? I mean, I suppose what I would say is that there is less Jersey bulls available, but there is more than enough. So, I mean, in in, in Ireland, I mean, there's, I suppose, two main sources of, of Jersey coming into the country. One is the New Zealand uh, through LIC predominantly and some through Ambreed via, via um, NCBC. Um, and then you have Viking genetics, which are which are the Danish jerseys. Um, so I, I will say that our research has shown that the New Zealand Jersey bulls are more suitable to our system and that stands to reason I guess they're they're being selected in an environment not dissimilar to our own they tend to have the characteristics that we're looking for this high intake capacity this ability to convert grass into solids and there is no doubt that it's very clear from the research that we're showing that these jerseys coming from New Zealand you know there is considerable genetic gain taking place in their breeding program because the their ability to produce solids is increasing year on year um you know and and holding their own at least with, with, with the progress that we're making in our own black and white population in that regard. They also seem to be improving in terms of fertility. And, and, and again, that goes back to changes in their own breeding program in recent times. The Danish are probably less suitable, we find, because they're less compatible with our pasture-based system. They're more, uh, you know, they, they, are, they originate from a system that's more, um, more based on high input, a TMR-type diet. But, and in terms of the number of bulls available, there's, there's an increasing number of quality bulls coming through, uh, in particular, as I say, from New Zealand uh, year on year. So, yes, while, they, while it's not apparent always because they're not on the active bull list, I mean, they are available. This, the, 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 the criteria upon which these alternative breeds appear on the active bull list is more stringent than our own um, bulls that, that are available here from our own uh, national breeding program. So for that reason, the bulls available don't don't always appear on the active bull list. But if we take at the moment, you know, I did an exercise with, with uh, there recently whereby I looked at if we took the top six bulls on the active bull list, which are all black and white bulls, and compared them to the what the what would happen if we were to use the the, the top six Jersey bulls that are available. Um, you know the difference in EBI is 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 quite small. So I, I think the difference in EBI between those teams teams of six bulls that we that we potentially could use um, is is something in the region of of, of fifteen euros. So so um, and that's actually if I look at the you know having conducted that exercise for a number of years, um, that's as close as 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 the animals have been. So so in other words, it's. Uh, the, the, such is the progress that's been made in New Zealand that uh, those Jersey bulls, in EBI terms, are, are quite close now to, to the best of the um, genomic tested Frisian bulls that are available in EBI. I mean, there is differences in terms of what traits are strong and weak within those breeds, but then that comes back to our complementarity and um, and expression of heterosis, which is not included in the EBI. Why, Frank, is the hybrid vigor not included in the EBI? I mean, you're equating it financially to potentially a 75 to 150 euro gain per cow per lactation, um, depending on the level of crossbreeding in the cow. So it's not included in the EBI because it's what's known as non-additive genetic improvement. Okay, so it's it's as a consequence of crossbreeding. So when you have bulls on the active bull list, you know, we don't know whether they're going to be used on pure Frisian cows, whether they're going to be used on pure Jersey cows, whether they're going to be used on crossbred cows. So we don't know the proportion of, of uh, 
crossbred genes, if you like, that's going to be in the resulting progeny. So we have to assume, you know, that, that they're all going to be used on on pure populations, if you want to, if you want to call it that. And that's 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 the assumption, and that's correct because the expression of heterosis is as a consequence of crossbreeding. And um, as I say, it'll depend on the proportion of crossbredness, if you like, within the resulting progeny. So um, for that reason, it's something that you calculate on the basis of the cross or on the basis of the resulting progeny. And you also mentioned the use of crossbred bulls. So instead of, I suppose, crossing two pure breeds, what you're doing is you you have your cow and you're crossing it to a crossbred bull. Um, you know, what is your take on that? And is there a role for use of crossbred bulls in Ireland? Well, where that's coming from really is is New Zealand. And in New Zealand, you have a scenario whereby, I mean, Crossbreeding is 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 the most popular breeding strategy. I mean, over fifty percent of the cows in New Zealand are crossbred, and as a consequence, um, their breeding program is such that they that they identified the best Frisian bulls, the best Jersey bulls, and the best crossbred bulls. And the genetic in, the selection intensity is highest within their crossbreeding population because they they have a, a greater pool of of high genetic merits crossbred cows to choose from, if you like. So really what it boils down to then is you will have a reduction in heterosis. So, you know, typically if we if we consider that, you know, I suppose most people starting out on the crossbreeding um, uh, pro, uh, regime, they, they will, um, so most people starting out on crossbreeding will tend to cross Jersey, for example, a pure breed onto their, their black and white cows. So they will have their, this 50, 50, this, this, this first cross cow that expresses the 100% hybrid figure. And I guess a lot, you know, a lot of them then want to sort of retain that type of an animal. So they will say, right, by using a, a, an F1 bull or a, or a crossbred bull, the resulting calves again will be 50, 50, if you like, in terms of Jersey and black and white and, and um, maintain a lot of the characteristics of the, of the first cross. And, but the reality is in that situation, you, you, because you are coming back with genes from both parent breeds, if you like, the level of heterosis being expressed, again, will be on average about 50%. And if you go with a crossbred bull again in the next generation, similarly, the level the expression of heterosis will be 50%. So it's lower, the expression of heterosis then in effect or in practical terms is lower than if you are crisscrossing with two breeds or three breeds. Um, you know, so so heterosis is expressed more in the strategies where you use the pure breeds. But on the other hand, because of the selection intensity of these bulls in 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 New Zealand, um, you know they have a big pool of high genetic merit crossbred cows to select from. You know they will be on average uh, or can be on average of superior additive genetic merit. So as expressed in their breeding work or, or in our EB, EBI. I suppose the biggest drawback people would see to crossbreeding in Ireland would be, you know, you have a 50-50 chance of the bull calf and also then the value of your cull cow. And, you know, has sex semen totally eliminated that concern? The bull calf is a concern for sure. I mean, look, we, we can't ignore that. And and the cull cow to, to a lesser extent. I mean, but I suppose that the way we would look at it from 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 a if we just take first of all this beef merit or this uh, or or the bull calf from an economic point of view i mean it's a very very small percentage of 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 a dairy farmer's income and for that reason you know will be overshadowed by the benefits coming through in terms of fertility productivity stocking rate and, and so on because many of these crossbred herds the productivity you know 
having introduced the jersey and introduced the characteristics that the jersey delivers, you know, the output can be as high as 10% more from, from those farms, which, which obviously has huge implications for profitability. But there is the issue of, of, of the, the lack of demand of these, uh, these lower uh, value animals. And, and, so th- and this is an issue that many are not prepared to contend with. So, I mean, look, sex semen will, will, will certainly minimize that. And thankfully, you know, the majority of Jersey and Kiwi crossbred bulls that are available are available sexed. Um, it seems to be working pretty well. Given the fertility of these crossbred animals, they tend to be inherently more fertile. So, you know, that lends itself to using sex semen. And finally, Frank, dairy farmers are finalising their bull teams over the coming weeks, you know, regardless of breed and taking into account our, you know, moderate input grass-based systems. You know, what are the important traits that you think farmers should really focus on to produce a suitable cow for future production systems in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, I mean, whether we're crossbreeding or whether we're working within the black and white population, I think we can't lose sight of, of the basic components that are required for you know, for success in our system. And, and you know, ultimately we're, we're looking for high solids output, but we're looking for, you know, it's seasonal production at the end of the day. So we need to have fertility. So we want, you know, moderate sized cows, I would suggest uh, 550 kilos approximately body weight, which is equivalent to a maintenance figure of around 15. Um, uh, so, you know, that size animal that's capable of producing high solids. And I tend to look at the kilos of fat and protein as opposed to the volume. People often get hung up on low you know, uh, milk figures, whether that be, you know, uh, borderline positives or negatives. You know, I tend not to look at that. I like to see animals that are relatively modest in, in, in their increase of milk, but that I look for, you know, high kilos of fat and protein um, and coming from high, high percentages. That's great. Thank you, Frank. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Frank Buckley for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma-Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.